Live racing continues at Mama's Saturday and Sunday each week through September 10th this weekend. Don't miss the Barbecue and New Jersey Craft Beer Festival. Enjoy three days of the Shore's juiciest barbecue live music, plus nearly 50 New Jersey craft beers. It's just $15 for 10 two-ounce beer samples. For more information, be sure to check out www.mammothpark.com. Welcome to the Friday, September 1st Players Podcast. This is for Labor Day weekend kicking off on Saturday, of course, with a lot of stakes racing around the country. If you don't think this is Pete Fornatel, you're right. It's not. Pete is at Kentucky Downs. He's having fun there. Pete packs fun with him wherever he goes. You can guarantee yourself of that. So Nick Tamaro here to host the Players Podcast. I've got three guests at a packed show ready to get into it, starting, of course, with uh, our friends down on the Jersey Shore at Monmouth Park. We will get started there with Eric Solomon, who I have. Uh, he's a guy who's done some great work for us on the website, and uh, he's going to be here to handicap the late pick five. And here he is, in fact. Eric, how you doing? I'm doing great, Nick. Good to talk to you. Yeah, glad to have you. Glad we could connect on this card. It's a bit of a part of the season where they're winding down at Monmouth. Just uh, one weekend to go in terms of three-day-a-week racing. We've got a couple of weekends after that before racing shifts to the Meadowlands. I know you've been following the action on the Jersey Shore very closely, and I'm excited to uh, to talk to you about these races. Let's get started in the late pick five which is going to begin in race number six. Uh, that goes as, uh, of course, the traditional kickoff leg of the late pick five, 3.02 p.m. Eastern. We've got $50,000 beaten claimers here, Eric. How did you think we could get this started? Uh, this is one of two races in this uh, sequence that are, are just absolutely wide open. This is, this is a definite spread race for me. Um, so I'm also going to be looking for value. I, I ended up making the one horse, no confession, my top pick. I, I like the drop in class for this horse who's been in stakes company for the last four starts. He actually was a stakes winner at Parks back in March, winning the Rittenhouse Square race car for three-year-olds, uh, six and a half furlongs. After that, they they tried him in races like the Pegasus and the Long Branch here, and he doesn't really feel like a two-turn horse, didn't run very well in either of those two races. Uh, they gave him a couple months off. He, he moved back into the barn of uh, Raphael uh, Schistel, I hope I didn't uh, butcher that name too badly. Um, he had ran, ran for him before, back when he was a two-year-old. And when he came off of a similar layoff pattern, gave him two months off, came back, was a little bit rusty. And then in that second start off the layoff uh, back in January, he ran a much improved race. And, I, and I'm thinking that, that that's a possibility in, in this spot today on the drop in class. I, I think from a pace pers perspective, he, he fits well with this group as well. Uh, six to one, I'd be happy to get that on him. Another price horse I like in this race, number two, V-Mart. Uh, kind of a little bit of a horse for course angle here, which is a little odd since he's 0 for 3 at, at the track. However, uh, his two races back in May in Allowance Company here were actually pretty good. That was a time at the meet where early speed was key, and he's that's not his style. He's a little more layoff the lead and, and kind of make that one run. He ran two races in eight days on, on that track that that was much kinder to front end speed than it's been over the last few months. The, from a speed figure perspective, it's right up there with his best races, both uh, buyer wise and uh, on the equity base numbers. So I, I think that's a horse that, that could be a little sneaky in here coming in from Saratoga after a, a poor effort against a better field, even though that claiming at uh, $40,000 claiming level there. Also going to use the four looking super for uh, Claudio Gonzalez. He ever since the he had a slow start to the meet, but ever since then he has just been on fire, winning multiple 
races on multiple days. He was this. He set out this horse uh, second off the claim last time out. Uh, strong effort, beat a decent field of uh, beating thirty thousand dollar claimers. Just looking at his progression, I, I think he can duplicate that effort here. So those are the three horses I'm going to put on the A line in this race, and then I'm going to back up with three zero. Paco Lopez takes the mount here for this horse. It's been strictly on turf. Probably a horse I'm going to play against from on a vertical perspective I, I just don't think the price is going to be there but of course i'll probably back up with and um in the pick five so one two on the a line uh eight on the b line yeah that's that's great i thought part of the appeal here was to try and bet against three zero especially if he drifts below three to one or so seven to two on the morning line paco for bruce brown getting uh into bruce brown's barn four dirt starts prior really nothing special of course they were at the beginning of his career so you want to give him a little bit of uh uh, maybe a look, but I, I I think a horse that you can firmly take some of a stand against and you're using as a backup at best. Let's go to race seven, a mile on the turf course. We've got 12-5 claimers here and a nice full field going postward. Where did you land? So, so I ended up making the eight red win my top pick. Uh, the, the favorite in this race uh, is Pugilist, that the seven horse. So this horse ran last month at, and every time she runs at this level, this 12-5, 10-5 claim, claiming, uh, she, she's ultra tough. She has three wins and a narrow second place loss uh, in, in her last four starts at this level in New Jersey. So uh, she's always a player at this level. She met a pretty weak field for this condition last time out and she won the way you'd want a four to five favorite to win that day. I think this field is a little bit tougher, at least at the top. Uh, there's definitely some filler in this race, but uh, a horse like Red Wind coming in again, Claudio Gonzalez coming in from Maryland. Actually faced Pugilist uh, back in May and was was three lengths behind that that mare that day. However, when you go back and watch the replay, the, the trip tells the story of a red win that day. Broke from the outside stall in a race coming out of the chute, so there was some ground loss there. And then as you know, Pugilist got a beautiful trip that day. Uh, she she moved a little bit early through on the rail, and as the field up front was starting to quicken, there was a long shot that was kind of drifting back through the field caused some traffic problems uh, red wind was forced to take up she uh so it kind of pretty much eliminated her chance of winning from that point she still came with a strong late move that day and then since that race uh she, she's run three real nice races at uh, parks and laurels so I, I think uh her being slotted right to the outside of pugilist might be able to kind of have a chance to pin pin that marion and get first jump today so uh, I'll definitely use Pugilist because she's been too tough at that this level. And I, and I think she's going to be a little bit of a lower price than the morning line suggests. I, she's three to one, Red Wind seven to two. I'm going to guess that there's a little more of a disparity between those two when the, when the gates open. And then on the B line, the, the other short price I'm going to go with is, is Boston Princess. I, I don't love this horse at seven to two in this race. I, I think that's, that's just too low. I, I think the other two are, are just a little bit better than she is at this point. But but I, but I do see a scenario where, where you know she saves a bunch of ground on the rail with the other two horses out a uh, little wider there. Again, another one that could could if, if you know the hole opens up on the rail, she she might just have that easy run there, shortest way to the wire. Good connections, so I'll, I'll cover with her on the B line. So seven eight on the A line, one on the B line. Makes sense there. That's in the second leg. Let's go to race number eight, the third leg, a one other than going six furlongs on the main track, and we've got a. A favorite here, likely to be a somewhat contested market, but I do think the uh, the three Zayarati 
for Robbie Falcone is going to take plenty of money. He's hitting at about a 30% clip at the Monmouth Me Broke his losing streak at Saratoga on Thursday afternoon as well. What did you think of Zaya Rodden and the rest of this field? Uh, she, she's one I'm going to be playing against in this race. Uh, I, again, th this is the other race that I was going to referencing that, that I, I just found to be extremely difficult. Um, you know, so, so, so to me, my, my strategy is kind of take a look at who I want to eliminate or who I have some serious concerns about. And, and she, she's one I, I do have a, a few concerns about. I, I did not love her last start. She was kind of buried on the rail and she just was not happy kind of contesting, you know, with that contested pace. I, I think that there's speed door inside in this race, speed door outside. And I just kind of see her getting that kind of in-between trip in that as they're going for the front end in, in a race that I think the pace could be a little bit sharp. So I'm going to try and beat her. Uh, Royal Poppy, I, th I think, is forced to go from the inside. So, so I, I think those two could hook up early. Um, so I, I'm thinking that we might see a little bit of a pace meltdown here. I made Kingdom Queen the four-horse uh, top pick in this race. She's coming back to the dirt after a pair of turf sprint efforts. And she's kind of a sneaky horse that, that does tend to run her best races on this surface. When she gets a decent pace in front of her, she, she certainly can come with that over-the-top move. And we've seen that multiple times and uh, be a winning move, especially in August at Mama. So if the track's kind of playing the same way it has for most of the month of August, I think she's got a live shot there. She, she, she often kind of sneaks up on, on and runs some big races at long at long odds. So, so I, I think she can fit at this level. So I, I made her the top pick. Also going to use the six Starship Defiant uh, coming in from, coming back from Saratoga for David Jacob, Jacobson. Calbred that was claimed from Santa Anita brought over here. Two starts on the East Coast. Her first race here was okay when she was uh, third, beaten three. Broken, breaking from the outside was pretty wide that day. Went to Saratoga, faced a better field. Now it comes back here, gets a little bit of class relief at the same level. Jacobson's horses have been live all meet long. So I think she's a little more consistent than some of the others in this race as well. So I'm going to put those two on the A line, the four and the six. And then on the B line, uh, I'm going to use the five and seven. The five, Athena's Wisdom. Again, another horse is probably going to be a part of that early pace. Uh, um, but her last two races on dirt were very good, breaking her maiden by open lengths uh, back in June then following it up with a strong win in Starter Allowance Company. I didn't quite get the move to turf at this point. At that point in her career running uh, at this level in that turf sprint. She met a very good horse, all that magic that day, went on to win a stakes race uh, back in August. I like her getting back on the dirt, but but I do think she, she's going to be part of that contested pace. So it, it's uh, one that I'll back up with. And then the seven Cumberland Falls, the other one I'm going to back up with. Another horse that's just kind of a little puzzling why she's in here. Her, her one start on dirt was a win and it was on this uh, surface. It was at two turns back at the beginning of the meet. After that, she, she went, uh, she's run three times on the turf, twice in starter allowance company, once in claiming company. She ran okay in those three races. I'm just wondering if, if this is kind of uh, trying to see if, if this is what she's going to do best, maybe sprinting, first time sprinting on the dirt. I think the pace, again, with, with a hot pace, she should be one that could be rolling late here too. So 5-7 uh, on the beeline for me. There we go. That's a good look at race number eight. Race nine, back on the turf, mile in an eighth. These are two other than uh, $30,000 optional claimers. And we've got another competitive field here, including the three magical marriage coming in off a nice victory, albeit against Starter Allowance Company, but moving up in class forever. Super, I thought, was the horse who'd really garner a lot of support at the windows, won a Haskell Day allowance race in really impressive fashion 
did take advantage of a relatively moderate pace that day. Where are you going in the penultimate race on the Carter? I take a shot here. I'm, I'm going to try a horse trying the turf for the first time. And it's interesting. We have two horses, both sired by violence, uh, both trying the turf for the first time uh, with, with, and at this level to see that, especially with, you know, 31 combined starts between the three, it's, it's a little bit odd, but, but, uh, Shug McGee, he's got the two Montauk point. And I'm a little bit interested in this horse coming in, uh, draw a line through her last race at Saratoga or excuse me, his last, last race at Saratoga coming back off the layoff. Was, was a very tough field that had uh, not wonders the two conditions, especially those mile and eighth races at Saratoga. They, they year in, year out, they always come up extremely competitive. Uh, pro- probably not ready for a race like that. Prior to that was a winner at Pimlico. Uh, it was a good race to, to clear the non winners of one condition. Uh, looking at the pedigree, interesting. This dam has had a quite an eclectic kick, uh, collection of, of runners. Um, she, this, one of the Foles at this, the damn antics was, was uh, the champion sprinter Kofefe. Uh, however, she she's also had some success with some of her runners on the turf. Violence is getting a, a 11% winners first time turf, 10% turf roots overall. These horses could be a little bit sneaky here at a price. So I'm, I'm going to try that one on the turf. And then I'm also going to use uh, the four horse Kygo uh, on the A line. Another one, I didn't really get the, the move to a turf sprint last time out. The, the the race in the United Nations was definitely in over his head two back, but it was a strong effort. It was, it was not, a, not a bad race by any stretch of the imagination. But running in the turf sprint was a little bit odd last time out, especially since I'm pretty sure there was a uh, longer race carded uh, right around the same time. However, it didn't, didn't run well that way. Distance is not going to be a problem for this horse. Strong efforts. Uh, was a decent fourth against a good field at this level. Uh, King Max was the winner that day. It's a horse I really like. Waiting for that horse to kind of show up in stakes company soon. Um, so, so I, I see this horse as a, as a horse that's it's going to rebound off of that turf spread. And then, uh, so two and four on the A line. Then I'm going to look at Forever Super line. Uh, that that was a strong performance, but certainly got a great trip that day. Just kind of off the speed, got first run. There was a injured horse that kind of was pulled up through the field. It's kind of eliminated a lot of the back markers in that spot. Uh, ha- however, Ronstadt, who who came in that race, came back to beat a, a decent uh, not winners of one field last time out. This horse has never run a bad race on the turf that two turns, so I, I definitely need to cover with this one. I'm gonna put Forever Super on the B line. Yeah, it's a tremendously interesting pedigree on the Montauk Point, who's damn is actually a half to Arch, also a half to Festival of Light, and a number of runners that uh, were pretty accomplished on the turf, including a coma. Um, so yeah, pretty pretty nice to see that one try the lawn. Let's go to the nightcap, wrap things up at a mile and 70 yards, a $5,000 beaten claimer. How are we going to close this thing out? Um, this this is my strongest opinion in the sequence, and it, it, is, it is the shortest price, but uh, fast break in, in this race. Of course, I'm going to be singled to on most of my tickets. This horse was a narrow second, two back, and a pretty fast race for this uh, this uh, time restricted condition. Went went to the shelf for a couple months, came back in, in a decent starter allowance. When uh, Coach Adams just kind of ran off the screen that day, was was a well beaten third. However, coming back two two weeks later, again Robert Falcone has thirty out of forty two in the money at, at this meet, twelve out of forty two for for winners. So uh, obviously anything that he's sending out, you gotta at least take a take a look at. 
I, I just think this horse is going to get the right trip and, and is better than than this field. The, the other two short prices, I have concerns with Indian Buzz. This is a horse I really liked last time out at 14 to 1 and just got nipped at the wire. They're, they're a little, little bit heartbreaking for me. But that, that was a huge race on, on a day where the rail was not great. And this horse spent most of the time on the rail, battled hard. I just don't know that, that we'll see him do that again. Not the most consistent type. Uh, I'm definitely concerned about a little bit of a bounce off that big effort for Indian Buzz. And then re-rally is another short price horse. You know, on paper, it looks like he's dropping in class, but but those uh, 7,500 down to 6,500 non-winners at three, I, I just don't think they're as strong as some of these time-restricted $5,000 claiming races. I, I just, I haven't liked the last two efforts from this one. Um, so so I, I'm going to play against him. If, if I do back up, it'll be with a nine off the meds. Uh, again, this is a horse that just got rolling a little bit too late last time out when beaten by a... Uh, Heavy favorite Al Cools, who was a big class dropper. Uh, if Rivera can get this one moving a little bit earlier, I, I think this is a horse that could be coming late. Pro- probably better in the exotics, but but that would be where I'd back up with. Well, that is a good look at this sequence, and uh, glad to have had Eric be able to join me. Eric, everybody can get your work at InTheMoneyPodcast.com, right? What about on Twitter? Absolutely, it's uh, I'm my handle is uh, Eric. Got to, got to double check. It's Eric Solomon 718, and the name is the guy from the spot. That sounds so. great. Well, we will be looking out for your work, and I really appreciate this, Eric. Thanks a lot. Talk again soon. Sounds good. I appreciate it. Nice talking to you, Nick. Horse player Happy Hour is back and excited for another great year of contests and camaraderie. Don't miss out on a great opportunity to support a great cause while also building your opportunity to qualify for the Breeders' Cup Betting Challenge. Stay tuned to the In the Money Media Network for more information. Next up on the Players Podcast, we're going to go north of the border up to Woodbine, and joining me is 2022 Breeders' Cup Betting Challenge champion Drew Coatney. And if Drew never, ever needed a reminder of it, he and I were just talking about morning lines and morning line prices, and I brought up the magic word flight line, which uh, I'm sure uh, is is one that you were uh, you're okay with talking about flight line, whether it's uh, in any context. That's that's right. Yeah. And I have a picture uh, signed by Sadler and uh, Flame of Slaves saying, yeah, congrats on the win. So whenever I'm feeling a little blue, uh, look up at that and remind myself that whatever happens in terms of like uh, getting nipped at the wire, having bad beats. Uh, I had a two to five that won like uh, one to nine. Yeah, I, I will say also I've and I've said this on these airwaves before, but if I'm ever struggling, I will go back and watch races where I had particularly good opinions and actually cash just to remind myself that there have been occasions where I've had an idea what I was doing. And, um, you know, that's going to be the ultimate one for you, right? It didn't take anything particularly clever, but it did take a lot of gumption. And so you should, you should rightfully, uh, take that to your credit the rest of the way. No, uh, no stopping you now. No, no. And, and, you know, nothing clever there, but it's amazing, uh, you go back and I'm, I'm just looking at modern games uh, uh, picture right now. And like, what happened to that horse? Now retired, I just had the right winner on the right day. So sometimes you have the right ideas. It's just not timing them out perfectly. So I hit modern games at the peak uh, for, I think it was 50 grand roughly um, to get to the hundred and hundred in the flight line. So uh, it does take a little bit of luck in the right time at the right place. Yeah, for sure. I was at Keeneland for his Maker's Mark Mile earlier in the uh, in the year, and, and I remember saying to Pete, Pete and I watched the race together, and we went back inside and sat down, and I said, well, 
that was not the horse that we saw last November. That was pretty clear. So we, yeah. And then, well, I'll give you another name of a horse that beat him that day that's gone into the abyss is Chez Pierre. He's a horse that won that day by open lengths and then came back and lost poker. And I believe, I don't even know if he's, well, actually I'm looking right now. He had a workout on July 9th and has not worked since. So obviously something has happened there and that's too bad because he was so sharp that day um, and obviously uh, kind of left it on the track himself. Yeah, it's it's all these horses that we we think of and go, where do they go? Tarabi is another, uh, I just can't remember who trained, but finished off by Sheree a great one. Yeah. Uh, Tarabi has been nowhere to be found since a workout in May uh, after that Keeneland race, and that was it. So I, I'm not, I hope all is well with the horse and comes back soon. Yeah, yeah, and that was that was not a compelling performance that day. It was good enough for you, which is good enough. But she was, I thought she laid over that field on paper and worked awfully hard to get it done. But obviously, something happened there. She's been a nice horse, and in fact, a second place finisher in the 2021 Spinaway behind Echo Zulu, who was a very impressive last weekend in the Ballerina, and will now head out west like us for the Breeders' Cup. Yeah, yeah, and and I uh, I get to almost uh, I think Echo. What do you think Echo Zulu will go off in the sprint? Because it's a key race to start looking at with it being the the capper of the Breeders' Cup betting challenge. Well, I guess the question will be whether she runs in the sprint or the filly and mare sprint. Um, because Asmussen is obviously going to be pretty loaded. I mean, he's going to have Gunite for the sprint and uh, he'll have Society and Echo Zulu for the uh, filly and mare sprint. So it's really going to boil down to where he okay. he decides to run these horses. But I mean, she would be... She, she would be the, obviously an overwhelming favorite in the Philly and Mare Sprint. And I mean, save Gunite and Elite Power, she'd be one of the favorites in the in the regular sprint. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I, I haven't read where he uh, where he said what he's thinking of doing, but uh, one of the things I like about his approach to West Coast Breeders' Cups is that he sends his horses out very early and lets them get acclimated. And so I imagine that you know, Disarm and Echo Zulu and Gunite and uh, society will all go out early and get prepared for those races. I don't think he has a marquee two-year-old at this point, at least not a stakes-winning type that, that could head out, but uh, he'll be well-represented there. And, you know, Asmussen's a guy that delivers on the big days usually, so it'll be yeah. it'll be fun to see. In there, in, in from a value standpoint, and I know we're here to talk Woodbine, but from a value standpoint, Echo Zulu already has two grade ones, winning a two and a four, I believe. Um, yeah. So... So, I mean, why not take a shot against the boys? Because what does that do for you other than the tremendous purse of, of running the Philly sprint? But I, th- I think from a breeding standpoint, you go throw this one at, at the boys. That's that's my take on it. But I don't uh, I don't have the uh, the big horse with uh, the $2.6 million worth of earnings and a, a 9 for 11 record. Right. I mean, and, and at this point with what gets paid for, for horses like her um, with her I mean, we don't generally see horses with her kind of credentials, but you know the kind of money that these horses are going for in, in these uh, late, you know, late season. Obviously, the the what do you call them? The horses of racing age sales, but obviously she would just be a broodmare prospect. I mean, you're probably looking at almost figures on her now. She's going to be upwards of a five, six, seven million dollars. Yeah, and if she beats the boys, uh, you could probably almost double it, or at least raise that by half. It it feels that way. She is, of course, a. Uh, Half brother of Grade One winner Echo Town, and uh, is just out of a really good family that Steve Asmus has had a ton of success with. So, we've got Drew on to talk Woodbine. Let's shift north of the border, and we'll take a look at the late pick four that begins in race number six 
at a mile on the E.P. Taylor turf course. And this is a spot where I guess, Drew, we're going to be dealing with a, a relatively solid favorite in the one Van Brew, who comes back off a long layoff unseen since November of 2022. When he made his 2022 debut, he came back off a long layoff in the Connaught Cup and went off 36 to one, chased the pace and really didn't do any running. And interestingly, he didn't really do any running all year until that big synthetic win in November. This feels like a horse to me that you're supposed to be against, but uh, he will certainly make his presence known from the start. Where did you land here? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the team tactics here because the inside and outside horse are both owned by the same owners and trained by the same trainers, so stable mates here. I'm gonna put the number nine Spirit Animal on top. Ran all but a winning race last out and got caught sweeping with a horse on the front end. It was actually very funny uh, replay to go watch as Mad Dog Joe or Mad Dog and Joe. Uh, looks back at the eighth pole and says, did I really just get away with this? And just keeps uh, carrying on. So ran all of that uh, winning race and was really the only one uh, running late and making up ground. And I think with the team tactics here, I think I think the directions are going to be, um, Savachi, go set, go go take back and make one run at it. And then my next horse is going to be the number one bed bro that you mentioned at five to two. Uh, I think the team tactic there is KK, go send, go see how far we can run this field with. I think I, I only need two in this spot, and those two with the team tactics. Yeah, it is kind of a mundane field otherwise. I thought Lock Makaza getting back onto the turf for Julia Carey had some back running lines that maybe made him a little bit interesting. Blinkers going on, dropping a notch in class. This is a horse you will have to improve, though. And I guess a lot of it depends on how much the three temporea pushes Van Brew in the opening stages. Van Brew's pretty quick, though, so it, it, it could be a, a situation where he's just able to sneak away from them. The, the miles on turf are always fun, especially because we don't get a lot of one-turn miles in North America on the turf, really just at Woodbine and um, and, and it's at uh, Belmont. Um, and we won't see any turf racing at Belmont for a while. So, uh, because you get a lot of horses stretching out off of sprints. And so, you, you situations like horses with Lapachka and Hellbent, um, they're horses that have made one run sprinting in the past, and the mile is often a little unforgiving in, in those situations. Do you generally feel that way about Woodbine that you want to steer clear of horses that have been stretching out off of one turn type races. Spirit Animal went two turns last time, for what it's worth. Yeah. Sometimes the the, the one turn in specifically with I'm not going to answer the question directly because I don't have a strong opinion. But when I watched the Spirit Animal's last race going two turns at the seven and a half, I don't think Spirit Animal likes to go around turns very well. Lost a lot of position around that turn, and I think those wide turns are really kind of the. Uh, training wheels per se with with a horse like that who is going to go a similar distance but having to go the wider turns themselves and really looking for a horse that can make up a lot of good ground around those wide forgiving bank turns so I don't know if that answers your question directly but I I do like the number nine in this spot because of the the, the bit, I did mention that in my notes uh, but I forgot to mention it that because of the one turn it does play a bit more advantage to the number nine spirit animal uh, being able to make that just one turn instead of having, having to not botch the first turn. Yeah, it, it, it is an overly general question on my part. I mean, I, I think it's this, it's situational. I think taking hard and fast rules is always a little dangerous. You want to take each race as an individual event and let the pace scenario and the class lines kind of factor into your decision-making process, which you've done in taking the two Drexler rudders to kick off this sequence. Let's go to race number seven, the second leg in a mile and a 16th. On the tapita surface, where the favorite will be number four, Indy Champagne, coming in off of an effort where the chart caller summed it up pretty well, offered no runs. Yeah, yeah. 
I'm at the number seven, cold singled here to Bakia um, at seven to two. Um, ran a winning race, and Contreras probably wishes he had that one back. Made an early move around the first turn, then dueling and hooking up around the first far turn with the leader. Put that leader away and then got caught in deep stretch. So I think with a bit more of a patient ride, should be able to have that move late. And overall, best figures in the bunch. I really don't like Indy Champagne. I have two back when when popped that 85 buyer on July 8th. Uh, dream trip riding the rail the entire way and having a, uh, a whole laid downgrade this one as it looked absolutely with the flow. Even though the time form is coded as neutral, um, sometimes it helps to go back and watch the race to see how horses were downlining as they came across the finish. And I really can't understand the morning line on the number one, Anita Margarita at five to two. I think that will drift up. So if you like that horse, I'm going to imagine that one will go off around three to one and Bakia is probably going to go two to one. I think you're going to see co-favoritism with the number four Indy Champagne. Yeah, I thought similarly. I didn't really see why. It's always funny how how the public handles the most recent running line because, I mean, you get a horse like the three now is a breeze who admittedly was coming out of a two life last time uh, with the optional claiming restriction as well. Went off nine to two, got involved in a hot pace and tired. It's hard to see that horse going off a significantly bigger price, especially having the speed to stay close early. But this is a it's a tough and competitive race on paper. I love these situations to do what you're doing, which is to get bold and single and look to just get through it where everybody else can just waste their money on other horses. Yeah, absolutely. And and I do have a couple of spreads elsewhere, so um, I want to get live. And I'll probably play the double. Remember, double takeouts at Woodbine are fairly favorable and uh, could get live to a little bit of a double into the next horse that I like at a, at a pretty decent price. We'll see what we get on the day. Let's take a look at the A3, six and a half furlongs on the EP Taylor. We've got a bulky field going postward here and a relatively soft five to two favorite in the one super flashy for Kevin Attard coming in off a sixth place finish against comparable foes looking to run back to some of those better efforts from a little bit earlier in 2023. Yeah, I'm getting tired of super flashy's act and I, I imagine the public will be too as well, uh, betting this one down to favoritism twice and not being able to get through. And so I will with the number two, or excuse me, number five, Mosler's image. I love the price at four to one. Uh, considering we have some trip notes on both of those races. Last I was part of a massive pace collapse that got buttered toast into the winter circle paying $62. And what I like is that this runner hung on with that pace that helps set up for buttered toast. And then too bad coming up the layoff was wide and had no, had to pause uh, to get the seam at the top of the step then grind it home. And today with uh, Draxler firing 28%, I think, I think Mosler's image is sitting on a pretty big effort here, third off the bench for um, top connections, but a couple other creative ones. The number four Frankie's girl at 10 to one looks to be sitting on a big race. Two races has been getting slow paces would like this one to be placed on the rail and maybe a few lengths off the run up late. Um, anything like the 23, uh, golf, golf stream park races we saw earlier could be pretty live. And then the number three high pop, uh, 20 to one, I think it just get loose in here. I don't see a ton of pace. And so if they let high Bobby go at number three, uh, you might be able to get something if this uh, buyer beware um, that high Bobby has only won four races out of 30 starts. So uh, you got to squint a little bit to see that one. But again, I think that's just a pure place uh, pace play for me. I'm a fan of the apprentice Sophia Vives as well, who I think has ridden very quietly has ridden well at both Woodbine and parks and has accumulated a pretty nice uh, strike rate, all things considered. And having that weight break, you take full advantage of it with uh with a speed uh front front running type trip right you're you're 
setting the pace, everybody else chasing it, and you're a little lighter. I think that's the the best way to take the edge there. We'll see if Sophia can wire this bunch in race number eight. We cap it in race nine at a mile on the inner turf course. Optional claiming starter allowance types. Drew, how are we going to close it out? Yeah, this is a tough, tough race. Uh, the number two steak and cheese at seven to two. Uh, should just sit the pocket and finish late with uh, KK aboard and the figures fit. And then the number 10 Malibu uproar will have to work out a little bit of a trip being drawn outside, but should be right up there with steak and cheese. I think he's just going to lose a little bit more ground. And again, has the similar figures. And then uh, another long shot I'm going to use, and I, you could spread even a little bit more in here, but the number three Desolator at 20 to one, an old friend of ours drops to the lowest class takes blinkers off with a notable jockey upgrade. Uh, Emmett Wilson has never been on this horse, so it's kind of fun to see how she's going to ride this one. It's definitely a deep closer, but could work out a perfect trip with so many speeds drawn outside. Again, another buyer beware with a uh, 3 for 44 record, but again, drop in class. Some recent figures aren't too far off the mark and could be able to get quite a payout in the in the horizontals. Best hop is often the drop. We'll see if that happens with the three Desolator in a really good sequence that our friends north of the border up at Woodbine are going to be offering on this Saturday afternoon. Drew, are you going to, I'm going to have you send me your picks so that we can make sure we include that in the In The Money Plus newsletter. If you're out there listening and you've not subscribed to In The Money Plus, you are overdue to do so. There's been a lot of great content throughout the summer and we're going to continue it in the fall, focusing on all of the Breeders' Cup related preps leading up to there. You'll have a little work for us on InTheMoneyPodcast.com as well, right? Uh, no, I'm not doing any of the writing. Um, I, I think someone's up there doing the writing but while we're talking. Oh, Jackson, Jackson is doing it? That's right. That right? Yeah. yeah, Jackson yep. Muniz is going to be doing the writing up at Woodbine. So you can combine Drew's audio with uh, Jackson's writing to get you through the Woodbine program on this uh, Saturday afternoon. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, and uh, it should be a great day of racing, especially with Del Mar uh, kicking off a little later for us on the East Coast time zone. Uh, make sure to fill those uh, spots in between with some uh, the late pick four. So Delmar kicks off at 4.30 on Saturday, and our sequence is kicking off around that time, I think, as it loads up 3.44. So uh, kind of get things started with some woodbine action north of the border. Sounds like a plan, Drew. Thanks so much for joining me, and we'll catch up very soon. Thanks. Get tied on for another record FanDuel meet at Kentucky Downs, August 31st and September 2nd, 3rd, 7th, 9th, 10th, and 13th in Franklin, Kentucky, just off exit 2 off I-65. Thanks to the Kentucky Thoroughbred Development Fund, Kentucky Downs pays some of the biggest purses on the planet, including the world's highest maiden races at $150,000 for Kentucky breads. The meet features 11 stakes worth at least $1 million while offering the largest fields and the best jockeys and trainers. Reserve seats on sale at themintkentuckydowns.com with free admission and tailgating. There's Unique, and then there's Kentucky Downs. And closing the show, we're going to head to the spa for closing weekend action, specifically the Saturday program, which features the uh, Jockey Club Gold Cup, which goes as race number 11. And joining me, a, a friend of mine, an excellent handicapper, one of the best minds out there when it comes to New York racing and any racing in general, Mike Beer. Mike, glad to have you on board. Thanks for the invite, Nick. Haven't spoken to you in a while. I'm uh, looking forward to uh, discussing this late pick five with you. Um, it's been so long since I've talked to you that um, I was actually somewhat hoping that this would be one of those video interviews so I could actually see you. Well, you might be one of the only people in racing that would want to see my face. There are probably people that see it every day that wish 
that they saw a bit less of it. Next time, video for sure. We'll have to to make this a more regular thing, no doubt about it. But we are audio only as we cap the show that has included a look at uh, both Mammoth and Woodbine for Saturday afternoon as well. We're going to go through the graded stakes races on the uh, on the Saturday card. I guess we'll mention the Harvey Pack as well because why not? Um, but um, we'll really focus on the late pick five. So, you know, Mike, one of the one of the themes that we've seen throughout this meet and some of the great, obviously the biggest theme has been weather. But one of the things we've seen are, are the graded stakes races suffer a bit from field size issues. And I think the biggest example of it is this year's Flower Bowl, which uh, is going to offer up a field of four, goes as race number three early in the program and 148 Eastern time. They're trying to keep it out of the pick six, which incidentally does have a carryover for Friday. We're taping this Friday morning. See if somehow that is a double carryover into Saturday. Alas, the Flower Bowl will not be part of it. Do you think this four horse the Flower Bowl is just basically McCulloch's race to lose, or could you envision an upset of some sort? Yeah, I mean, I I guess I more or less looked at it that way. I mean, if if not, it's it's probably a two horse race between the two uh the two Phillies or mares coming out of the uh the Glens Falls earlier in this meet that uh McCulloch won that race. I thought she ran pretty well in there. Maybe with, you know, ultimately the best trip in the race. Um, that was another relatively short field. Um, I don't know. I feel like she ran really well there to get the job done. If you don't like her, I guess you just like Amazing Grace, who, you know, when you go back and watch that full replay, I guess you would just have to say that Amazing Grace didn't get nearly as lucky in the trip department as Mikulik does. And she still ran a representative race there. Um, to me, it was just, you know, one of those two horses probably just take your pick. Uh, Amazing Grace will be the better price. I kind of, the more I looked at it, I just sort of felt like Amazing Grace is probably better going a little bit longer than this. And the uh, 11 furlongs of this race might play a little bit more to the strengths of McCulloch. Maybe it's uh, not quite a coin flip, um, but it's one of those two horses. It certainly at least looks that way on paper. And I just didn't really put a lot of thought into it, to be honest with you. It's not an interesting race at all. And I put McCulloch on top. Yeah, I, I did the same thing. I don't really see how uh, it comes any other way. Um, incidentally, and I did not realize, we're like, goddess has not worked since the Glens Falls, which I didn't, I don't recall seeing anything about whether she had had suffered an injury of any type. But obviously, she lost this race at a short price last year when uh, Chad Brown wired it with Irad Ortiz Jr. And I think they'll probably put McHulick on the lead. She's got a lot more tactical speed than Amazing Grace. And I don't exactly think they're going to be blazing through the opening half mile. For what it's yeah, worth, Tamarama did wire that race two starts back. That, that's what I was going to say. It's interesting that you brought that up, though, because it does feel like Nikulik will be right. If she's not on the lead, she's going to be sitting, you know, right up close. And the only way she's not on the lead is if Tamarama, the import, just, you know, shows a little bit of speed here, which is probably their only real chance in here. So the more I thought about it, I thought Tamarama might be cutting this thing, but I just didn't think Nikulik would be that far away. Yeah, I, I really had not had a lot of hope for McCulloch moving forward as a four-year-old, um, but she did run very well last time. She got a great ride, too. You alluded to it in saying the the respective trips of she and, and, and Amazing Grace really told the tale as she was able to get that last run. And more like Goddess just pulled the whole way, and, and you know, it's hard to win a wrestling match with your jockey for a 12-furlong trip, but uh, it does look like a situation where McCulloch goes from the hunter to the hunted. She's been in this scenario in the past and delivered anyway, winning last year's Jockey Club Oaks Invitational has the four to five favorite anything else on this uh, flower bowl the tremendously appealing wagering event that it is no if there's there's nothing listen man, we, you you referenced it anyway earlier nick that these something these turf graded stakes races especially haven't been you know super compelling um at saratoga but 
If you've been following New York racing, that's just sort of been the way it is the last couple of years. This is the graded stakes races in New York. And listen, I follow New York racing religiously. It's still my favorite circuit, but the graded stakes action on this circuit the last couple of years has not been great. No, it's, it's very simply, that's exactly right. And, and it's unfortunate. You also wonder how much some of these turf races are going to be affected as time goes by uh, with the Beverly D back in the mix, uh, even though it did exist last year, but uh, it's, it's a little bit more, found more of a stable home long term. And then obviously Kentucky Downs is going to have a major impact on the back half of the Saratoga meet from a turf stakes race perspective. Let's hope that we've got some more horses in the mix for 2024 and moving forward. The next graded stake on the card is the fifth. It's the prior. It's a grade two at six furlongs. Kicks off a mandatory pay pick five. I wanted to get your opinion on this, Mike, because the interesting thing to me about this race is that, yeah, we only have five horses going postward, but for the most part, they all kind of want to do the same thing tactically as they've really all been at their best when they've been either on the lead or very close to it. Something has to give here. Somebody's going to make up ground, and I think that horse may end up winning the race. Yeah, that's that's exactly how I looked at it, too. It, you know, every it's, it's so hard to tell. Um, in a lot of ways, especially mostly with two-year-olds, but this is all going to carry over because our horses don't race as two-year-olds anymore. And so now it carries over to the three-year-olds and they're, everybody's so lightly raced still in this race. I mean, we're coming to the, nearly to the end of it, September of these horses, three-year-old campaigns. And, you know, they've got four or five, six starts, something like that. So who knows how it's all ultimately going to play out, but you're right. It's mostly speed in here. And that's, one of the reasons, and I will say it's only one of the reasons, but it, it certainly is one of the major reasons that I really like the one Jersey Pearl in this race, because I know that she can do it from off the pace. I would argue that Alva Starr, who's also in here and who does, who is very fast, she's one of the major contenders in here. Um, and just going back to that race when they met going six furlongs back in May at Churchill Downs, um, Alva Starr ran really well that day on the lead, sort of in control of that pace. And, and I just thought Jersey Pearl ran a really, really good race to gun her down at the end. She came back with an easy win in her next start, Jersey Pro, that as a, as a heavy favorite on the lead, um, but she doesn't need the lead to be effective. And I feel like there's going to be a little bit of pace in front of this filly in this race. Um, I already know that she's comfortable sitting off it and then still firing a shot through the stretch. She's perfectly drawn, in my opinion, to the rail. These other horses go. She's going to be able to come out of there, get forward right behind them. Um, and I just feel like this is a great spot for her. She also happens to be you know, we'll see how the betting all shakes out. I think that's the one thing you have to wait for anyway. Um, but at the morning line price, um, this is where I could easily be betting it. Yeah, I mean, it feels like she can't be much lower than the three to one. I know there's going to be a lot of support for for a horse ridden by Irad that has a lot of uh, sexy running lines. But, you know, the two is going to be a big price. And I don't really see Unsung Melody getting a ton of money coming off that dull will. Uh, even if it was won by the subsequent Alabama winner. So the market is dominated, obviously, by the one, four, and five. And, and I think we probably have somewhat similar opinions that Dazzling Blue can win this race, but she just is no great shakes to me as a heavy favorite uh, having to stalk the pace on the outside. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, did, I listen, she did draw well on the outside. So, you know, maybe she can just do a little sitting here and fall into a good trip. I don't, I don't know, man. I don't like want to knock anything that she's done so far. Obviously, the first three wins, they're not, particularly fast races. She was short prices and all of them. I thought she looked, you know, very good winning all of those races. And, you know, I'm not probably not as much as a, of a figure guy as everybody else is. So I don't really care that they didn't come back that fast. Um, her, her victory ride to me was, you know, just sort of the, the race that made her a tough call because it got her the figure. She was second best to Maple Leaf Mel and clearly second best. So I guess that's a good thing. 
I don't know. I just didn't really see that she did that much running in that race. First of all, and I get why they didn't want to go after Maple, Maple Leaf Mel, I guess, early in that race. But I don't know. Pratt just conceded. He didn't even try to race her. He sat, you know, sort of in behind her for most of the, all, all the way up the backstretch, did a little bit of chasing um, around the turn and, and was second best in there. I don't know. She got a 94. She ran fine. I didn't think she did a ton of running. Um, I'm not terrified about a guy stirring here. Yeah, I totally agree. Vava came back and, and validated the figure with a win in the Charlestown Oaks. But I agree. I mean, I felt like the, the term I would use was total long, right? I mean, she just chased yeah. and never really made an impression. Um, obviously, I think we can all agree to an extent that Maple Leaf Mel was well on her way to validating that performance before the incident yeah. in the test. She ran very well that day also. So, yeah, I have no, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to be bowled over by Dazzling Blue winning this race whatsoever. You just... It's one of those situations where what you're alluding to on Jersey Pearl is that we've seen it. We've seen her pull the trip that she's going to need to win this race. We haven't really seen Dazzling Blue do that. And and generally, I'm, as a rule, I'm trying to yeah. bet against those kind of horses. Yes, that's exactly how I looked at it, too. And the other thing that sort of, at least in my opinion, sort of bolsters that feeling about Jersey Bell is just that I do think that Elva Star is a pretty live horse in this race and a pretty strong contender um, and when you're just, just going back again to that Churchill race at the end of May, I mean, Elvis Starr, first of all, Jersey Blue was, was off, Jersey Pearl was off the layoff that day. Um, and Elvis Starr had already had a star down at Oaklawn Park. So she had the recency on her. She was in control of that pace. Um, she did have to use her speed to make the run. I'm not going to say that she walked on the lead. The pace was legitimate, but she was in control. And um, Jersey Pearl still gunned her down. I thought she looked really good winning that race. And if I'm thinking Elvis Star is a major player in here, um, and then they come back and they meet again in this race where Elvis Star is probably going to have to deal with uh, Dazzling Blue at some point around the turn of this race, I think that just you know sort of sets things up even better for for Jersey Pearl. Yeah, I'm in total agreement. It should be a, an, in, it's at least an interesting running of the race despite the small yeah. field. Um, that goes as race five. That's the priors. Let's shift our focus to the late pick five, which begins in race number eight, a renamed stake race. For the venerable Harvey Pack, who was around New York racing for quite some time, I will admit I missed the majority of the time uh, where where Harvey was actively involved in the game, but enjoyed very much the uh, the periods of seeing him later on in his career. And, and I know that he was very close with our mutual friend Andy Serling, who we did a really good interview with about ten years ago or so. That's available on YouTube. I encourage everybody to to take a look. And he was a legend and somebody really beloved in the sport. Yeah, Harvey was, yeah, definitely. If you grew up in New York, especially, and he was a huge part um, of my developmental years in this sport. I was around at the right time watching his show every night, his recap show every night, and then, you know, getting to see him um, do all the all the other things that he did for New York Racing. And then, you know, luckily enough, I got to work with him for um, a year or two at, at DRF when he came over and did some videos with me and Dan Illman. So, Harvey was a great guy. Um, he's he brought so many people to this sport that you can't even imagine. He was that popular um, in New York uh, several years ago. And um, as funny anybody who saw him, you know, and saw how funny he was either on his show or at those zero seminars that used to be so great at Saratoga, he was hilarious on those. He was even funnier in person. Yeah, that's that's what I that's what I I've heard, and and the couple of times I met him, he was great. And there's very few times Mike and I are, are invo- have been involved in racing long enough to know that there are very few people that nobody has anything to say about. And Harvey Pack was one of those guys. So that is an accomplishment in and of itself. 
and he is he is due some uh, some attention here in this race, which brings forth a field of six headed by Big and Nate after his uh, shockingly uh, poor performance in, in the QE two at Royal Ascot. I say that of course, tongue firmly planted in cheek about his uh, shockingly poor performance, and he meets a horse, Mike, to me that is probably about as close from a situational standpoint to Big Invasion's kryptonite as you're going to find as our shot looks to have way more tactical speed. He might not necessarily get the lead if they ride Dancing Buck hard out of the gate, but it really looks as if our shot is uh, is coming into this race the right way. No, I agree with that. I, I'm, I'm an our shot fan and I like all of his races and um, the tactical edge he could have uh, in this race is, is readily apparent. There doesn't feel like there's on a speed in this race. Um, I will, you know, you know, just add in here while we're talking about Arshad, like he's obviously a major player in here. Um, I didn't wind up taking him in here. Just, I don't know how you feel about it, Nick, mostly just because when I saw that he was two to one on the morning line, and I'm not arguing that he shouldn't be one of the favorites in here, but I don't know that I would want to bet Arshad at, at two to one in this race. I like him. I'm not way against him in this race. Big invasion, I think still has to be considered the horse to be in here. At least that's the way I looked at it. And I say that as someone who, you know, I'm, I'm happy to admit that I've been wrong about it, but I, I never really liked this horse that much. I spent all of 2022 betting against him. And anybody who has the PPs can just go look at all the running lines. It's nothing but wins for this horse. I think I bet against him in every one of his races and he just kept winning. I don't know. I was wrong about him. I kept losing money. And, um, I would say that even though he's one for four this year, he's he's probably as good this year as he was last year. I guess we'll find out more. He he was he was dreadful at, at Ascot last time. It's your call how much you want to hold it against him. You know, as you've already alluded to, it wasn't shocking that he wasn't competitive there. But being not being competitive and then running the race that he ran, I kind of think are two different things. That was a really, really bad performance. And um I don't know. Maybe he'll win here. I wanted to bet against him again, but that's what I always do. Yeah, I don't blame you. I mean, <clears throat> coming back in two weeks in a 16-horse race, which is widely regarded one of the toughest turf sprints in the world, uh, was always going to be a bit of an ambitious spot. So, I, it, like you, I don't want to hold against him terribly much. But it, it was bad enough for me to take a little bit of pause, at least in terms of, of how he might run coming back off that kind of experience. So for what it's worth, Christoph Gleman has five stakes wins in the last 10 days. His barn has really heated up in the back half of this meet. And we've seen in recent years, his barn usually got a hotter start at Saratoga, but it's been a it's been a strong second half, including that huge win from Drake's Passage in the Albany on Sunday Look. afternoon. Big win in the John's Call a little bit earlier in the week. I wonder tactically if the setup will be right for a big invasion. I know he's a horse that needs things to develop a little bit in front of him. I also uh, wonder at Tad as well. So the the interesting thing to me about our shot from a tactical perspective is that, and and the day that he won at Keeneland in late April, uh, he took a ton of money and then he wired the field. Suddenly this horse was asked to show significantly more speed when he got a rider switch to Luis Saez. And now Castellano's back on. And, and I hope that Javier continues to do the things that Luis did in his two, two uh, trips aboard our shot and getting him a lot more involved because otherwise, and I would say I, I bring this up because I could certainly see it happening. I could see Dancing Buckwire, you know, he's allowed to get an easy lead. I, I was on him in the Goldmark Turf Sprite, and um, and that was a day where he got away with absolute murder on the yielding curve course. I don't right. think you'll get that easy a lead in here, but uh, yeah. I do hope that Arshad at least keeps him honest in the first quarter or so. 
Yeah, that, that's actually a really good point that you bring up, and it's not something that I caught on to uh, with our shot. You're right; the writer change could could make a, a bit of a difference here. Um, and again, I'm I'm an R shot fan, and I'm I'm not going to knock him in here. And you know, we'll see how the prices all shake out. I'll I'll use him in the pick five for sure. I just here's you get to split hairs somewhere in these races, and the the one hair that I did split with R shot. Um, out of the last race in particular, the Saratoga win uh, over course and distance. And I, I thought he ran well there, Nick. Um, he he beat Arrest Me Red. Um, he held off Arrest Me Red, let's just say. And Arrest Me Red is a, a pretty good you know point of reference, I think, because he is a really good turf sprinter. He's a quality turf sprinter. He's a great at stakes quality turf sprinter. But he also never wins. Um, and so that's one of the things that I kind of held against our shot um, just because he's going to be a short presser. That's the only reason that I was looking for for ways to not use him in here because he is going to be one of the favorites. And so I, I, it just got me wondering, you know, how good his last race is. And I won't be surprised when it was actually as good as it looks on paper and he wins this race. But I was just looking for ways to play against him and Big Invasion as the two favorites in here. I'm with you on on Dancing Buck. He's the horse I wound up picking as far as, you know, the my selections in the paper goes for whatever that's worth. Um, I picked Dancing Buck because I think he's going to be a price, a good enough price. His not only the Belmont Turf Sprint that you referenced already, but he's got other races from last year that will make him a major contender in this race. He doesn't need the lead, um, but he could very well have it in here. And I think that could be a big advantage for him. He just has to be ready off the layoff. We'll see if he is. I thought he'd be a fair enough price to take a shot. The other horse I'm definitely using in here, and I was sort of torn between as far as a top pick for the race goes, is Thin White Duke. And I know he's 0 for 7 this year, um, but I would just say, and I don't know if you agree with this or not, go back and watch any of his seven starts this year. Source is as good as ever. He's run well in every single one of those races. He just happens not to have one. He needs a trip. He's one of those horses who he's going to need to catch some kind of a break along the way as this race develops. But he's good enough to win here, and he's actually in good form right now. He just happens not to be winning races. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that's actually a great point. I, I also imagine that Steve Chris, being a part owner, would love to win a race like the Harvey Pack. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, the, the fun thing about this horse is they campaign him very aggressively, right? This is going to be his fourth start of the Saratoga meet already. He ran in that race that you referenced that our shot won by a head. And, and put forth his usual late closing effort. Didn't get much pace to run at that day. Really didn't get any pace to run at in his prep for this race just uh, roughly, what, eight, nine, nine days ago. Um, ten days ago, I think. So I, I, I agree. I think it, it, could, it can also help him potentially that this is a more compact field where the pace might not develop as much only because he'll stay somewhat closer early. And that second place finish behind Heaven Street on a boggy course back on July 4th was actually that that was a race where I thought to myself, okay, he is he is about as good as he was last year because he ran very very well that day, and um, I'm in complete agreement with you. I think that he's a he's a very dangerous horse in this spot. Um, for what it's worth, on Dancing Buck, Michelle Nevin off 180 plus day layoffs is a 14 percent with a 166 ROI in the last five years. She's actually three for her last five doing that. She had a couple of winners at the recently concluded Bell Hunt, uh, doing exactly that. Uh, Born Dancer and Wise Kraken. And uh, she actually had three wins at the Belmont meet Bucker two as well, who was a nine to five favorite Wise Kraken and Born Dancer were seven to one and nine to one respectively. She also had Whiskey Lullaby run well doing that at three to one. So it's something the Bard has done uh, with regularity now with success. And I think for me, this horse is one that I really had never been a huge fan of. 
And then the way he woke up at Saratoga last year, I remember thinking, I'm like, oh, this, is a, this is a much better horse than I thought, including that runner-up finish behind Thinway Duke in this race last year when it was known as the lucky coin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You're right. This horse just sort of got, I don't want to say suddenly better, but he did just really get better starting last summer up here um, and carried it on to that big win. The most recent start, that last start, which before the left, which wasn't great, but I, I just felt like he didn't really have the best of it there. He got beaten to the lead from the outside post and at a time when you wanted to sort of be towards the inside on the aqueduct tour, of course. So I, I don't don't care about that one. His prior form makes him really, really tough in here. And um, I'm glad you brought up the uh, the layoff stats with Michelle Nevin. It was one of the things that I was concerned about, but I saw the same thing as you did in that, you know, she's not one of those horse, uh, trainers who's going to, you know, blow your doors off with her layoff stats. But recently it's actually been a pretty good I'm in total agreement. Let's go to the second leg of the late pick five, which is race nine, New York bred one other than runners at six furlongs on the dirt. And it was a recent debut he's princess from three weeks ago that I think is going to garner the majority of the attention here for Larry Ravelli and Irad Ortiz Jr. There is significantly more speed and I think more of a challenge that she'll face in the opening stages of this race than she did last time out. Mike, how'd you feel about Richie's princess and everybody else here? Yeah, I didn't really want her, but um, that being said, I mean, I, I recognize that she could just be tough right back, I suppose. Um, she earned a figure for that debut, and um, that's, you know, just supposed to make her tougher in this race, and it's not like she's beating or meeting a, much, a bunch of horses, you know, that are just holding upside um, in this kind of a race deck. I mean, every once in a while, you'll, you'll catch one of these New York-bred entry-level allowance uh, races that feel like there's a lot of potential uh, for horses going forward. This isn't one of those. Um, Richie's Princess is probably the only one. I, I mean, I still didn't really want her in here, mostly because when you start going through it, there's just so much speed in the race. It it, it feels like one of those races, and you always want to be careful projecting fast paces in races in New York, but this race, this pace has to be fast. I don't know. I don't, I don't see any way around it, really. Um, the, the major issue that I had with the race, and, and I don't want to go on too long about this because I, I really don't have a strong opinion in here and maybe you do. And so you can sort of take over here. I just couldn't find the closer that I wanted to take in this field. I mean, I, I went through everybody then I went through everybody again and I couldn't find the horse that I wanted as the closer. I thought maybe it would be fancy feline who I did think ran pretty well from off the pace in her most recent star back at Belmont. Her other, you know, her other races don't really do a lot for me. And so I was like, if she's the, the closer I'm going to wind up taking in here, I'm going to go through this race again and I'm going to try to find somebody else. And um, I just, I couldn't really, really find that horse. So I wound up picking and a horse so I could maybe bet at some kind of good price in here is uh, Athena Beach. Uh, so I don't, I'm not sure what number she is, Nick. Do you have a, let me see what number she is. Oh, Athena Beach is the uh, six. He's the six. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I wound up just taking Athena Beach in this race because I know that she's a speed on paper, but she is turning back out of a two-turn route. Um, so I thought maybe that would get her off the bridle a little bit here as she cuts back to sprint again. And, you know, even in her career debut, I, you know, if you look at it, she's on the lead every point of call, but she wasn't, she didn't make the front right from the gate there. A horse beat her to the lead and she was able to just sit very briefly off that horse. She was wanted to be too good for those horses and wound up taking over really early in the race, but she, you know, it's not like she was, you know, a total, you know, um, headstrong pull job in that race. She, a horse beat her to the lead. She seemed fine with that. And then she just went up and took over. So I'm just hoping she can sit a little bit in this race. I do like her races. I think she has some talent. I'm just hoping she can get the right trip in here. Yeah. I mean, and the problem that you alluded to is that if you're taking closures, you're 
you mentioned Fancy Feline, who maybe with Joel on board, uh, if she can get out of the gate, unlike the way she did two starts back, could maybe not be so far back, but you really wonder about how much ground she's potentially going to have to make up. And really, the only other legitimate closer to me was Big V Christine, and she is not one that's going to get your blood flowing. She was very dull last time out. You're really banking. And, and, and granted, he has good stats with horses second off of, of mid-range layup. But you're looking for a big forward move from from Big Bean Christine because, I mean, quite honestly, from a speed figure perspective, whether it's time for US or, or buyers, uh, this horse has to move forward to compete with Richie's Princess. To an extent, she has to move forward to compete with some of the speed horses that look like they have no chance. So it's, it's a situation where I love cutbacks, so I, I don't blame you. I have a team to beach in the mix as well. And felt like just the uh, change in configuration could lead to her being a little bit farther off from it. I wonder, and look, I'm not going to spend a bunch of time beating up on Jackie Davis. I wonder if maybe Lescano can work out more of a stalking type trip with Sandy Sarden. And uh, since Jackie got kind of played by her sister in, in the off the turf race late on that July 29th card and got suckered into trying to come up the rail, which uh, likely wasn't where you wanted to be. It's very hard to claim what type of bias could have existed at that point in the day because it rained again right before that race, shortly after the Jim Dandy. I think it's safe to assume it probably wasn't ideal to be on the inside. The problem with this filly is that all of her good races have been on the lead, and it looks like there's virtually no chance she ends up with that type of trip, but uh, we'll see if maybe. She's a horse who's also worked very well in the mornings, so we'll have to check that clocker report. I, I just, I think when push comes to shove, I'd probably want her to be a little bit better price, and I think she will get that a, a little more than, than I'd be comfortable with because of all those ones in her running lines. But yeah, it is remarkable that you can get a field this size and really not find one legitimate closer. And I think that's what, uh, that's certainly what plagued both of us. Yeah, it, it, it definitely was. I mean, I, I do, again, it, and it's it's kind of unfortunate because I really didn't feel like, you know, I think Richie's Princess will probably be the favorite and she probably should be, but it, I don't know, I didn't really feel like she had the win here. It's the kind of race where I really wanted to find somebody and it just happened to be one of those races where I, there was just nobody I can really fall for in this race. Yeah, if Richie's Princess wins, what we're going to know about her moving forward is that he landed in the right place at the right time, two times in a row. That much I think we can be we can be certain of after that debut win against a, a very, very modest field. Uh, let's go to race 10 a mile on the inner turf course. These are one other than runners going to two-turn trip. I thought this was a super competitive race. Felt like one where there would be a decent amount of pace as well. I'm interested to hear what you thought of this bunch. Yeah, I like this race too. I thought this was one of the more um, interesting betting races um, on the card, actually. I think there were cases to be made for a lot of different horses. And and um, mostly the the starting off point, at least for me, was just that, you know, Chan Brown has two horses in the field. I mean, maybe they just found a great spot here, Nick, but I don't know. I didn't really love uh, either of his horses beginning with, with the sixth. Um, I'm very busy. You know, he's second off the layoff now as a three-year-old, and maybe he just needed his his return race there earlier in the meet over a course with a little give in it. But um, I don't know. I didn't think that he ran that well in there, and um, I didn't really love this horse as a two-year-old anyway. So I didn't really want him, and I didn't really want Chad's other horse either, um, Internet Capital, who I guess he's got potential and he's got some figures from last year, but I don't know. When I watch his races, I'm not convinced that that horse is very good either. He's also second off the layoff. He'll probably complete the exact in here, but um, I don't. I didn't really want either one of those horses. I like the one Danzig with the stars. I have him in there. I thought he ran fine last time. It's not a race that I love, 
But, um, you know, I think he can win here. He obviously really likes uh, Saratoga. And maybe he just gets the right trip in this race. And this is the right spot for him. I think it'll be a fair price. So I have him in there. But the more I looked at the race, um, and maybe this is, you know, just one of those situations where I'm I'm just taking a shot and I invented this horse um, out of nowhere. But I'm betting the five in this race, bad to the bones, who is 0 for 2 on the turf. He's never run a particularly fast race on the turf. Um this was a race that was so wide open for me that I was looking for outsiders going back and just sort of going through his two turf races from last year when Grand Motion had him. I actually think this horse ran a lot better than it looks in both of those races. Um, two races that did not set up well at all for, for closers, and he was way back early. And I don't think he was way back early because he doesn't have speed. He was off the layoff at Pimlico in May. He hit the gate. And then a horse bumped into him, and he just wound up back at uh, at the back of the pack. His rider was very conservative with him after the poor start. This horse actually ran at the end of that race, but he had no chance. The The leaders were not coming back in that race. His only other turf start, again, they didn't go aggressively, but he got bumped first time through the stretch uh, there as they were headed to that first turn. So again, they just raided him back. He ran again at the end of that race, I, and that was a pretty good field too. I don't know. He's okay on dirt. I'm not convinced that he's better on dirt. Um, but if he can just sort of transfer that form over, I think this horse could really uh, factor in a race like this one. He can do it at a price. And um, I don't think he's as slow as he looks in those two turf starts from last year. I agree. I, I think it's a race where you have to be looking for something clever because, again, of the two Chads, I, I strongly prefer internal capital. And that's mainly because I just really don't like I'm very busy. I, I, didn't, I know he's getting Lasix for the first time. He's getting blinkers. I mean, this feels like Chad sort of giving him the last stop on the expressway right. today because he didn't really do any running last time. I mean, they, they went in front of him. And I yeah. know Taking Candy is, is coming back in the in the Saranac today, so we'll see how he performs. But this feels like a horse who everybody went nuts for because he won a maiden race in, in kind of a flashy manner on debut. And yeah. since then, he's just been very underwhelming in three subsequent starts. Um, I did think Internal Capital had a little early trouble last time. That was a race where the, the pace more or less held together. The winner, incidentally, is coming back tomorrow afternoon at Monmouth. So you can see how he performs. I wish he had run a little bit better. I mean, he never really did put in. It felt like he never really got out of third gear. Um, and he might be a horse who just wants to be a little bit more forward. And Javier expected in a big field for there to be more pace last time. I mean, you look yeah. at his pace figures. He ran he ran 40 points slower to the half mile than he did uh, almost almost better than 50 points lower to the half mile than he did in his maiden win. So he might just want to be a little bit more involved. I felt like you could make a little bit of a case for Royal Spirit. I thought he ran well when he was second to his stablemate going a mile and a quarter back in June. But, you know, it's it seems like we're we're getting to the 11th hour of Linda Rice's run. I think I've said that to myself before. But it, it, these horses aren't necessarily going to be able to hold up and run well every single time. So I, I love the opportunity to try a horse at a bit of a price. The second family turf pedigree on Bats of the Bones is actually perfectly fine. It includes a turf stake winner, Selva. And uh, and I do think this horse is deserving of another shot on the turf as well. So very, very interesting look there. So pick five purposes. I mean, you're probably going at least uh, what, one in five to to get you through the, for the most part. Yeah, I think I, I would lean, I would definitely lean on those. Shows. I mean, you know, it is, if this is a kind of a wide open race. And so it's, in some ways, I guess it's, you know, it depends on how you look at it, I guess. Some, and some people probably just don't want to get knocked out in a race like this and you want to cover your bases. I tend not to do that. I mean, there are so many horses in here 
um, that I know can win, you know, obviously, and, and the two Chads are, are, are among those. But, you know, even uh, the horse that's drawn uh, to the outside land biscuit, I know he can win. I, I've never liked that horse. Um, he's a huge price on the morning line. So maybe that would allow me to include him, but I'm just not a fan. And I, and I tend to try not to use horses like that when I'm playing, uh, you know, that's like the pick five. So I'll probably just sort of focus on the two horses that I actually do like, and then hope that I'm right. And then, you know, can sort of make my way through the rest of this thing. Making our way through it ourselves. Let's go to the featured event on the card, the grade one jockey club gold cup. It still feels odd for me to bring up this race in uh, at, at Saratoga, but it is the uh, fourth running of it up at the spa. Last year, we saw Olympiad run a very nice race to win. It came back and finished second in the Breeders' Cup Classic. I find myself forgetting very often that he ran second in the Breeders' Cup Classic, and I'll admit that I looked it up this morning to remind me. I think we'll get a pretty solid favorite here when all is said and done with the one proxy. I'm sorry, with well, the four battle, rattle and roll, be a relatively solid favorite over proxy. Did you uh, think that it kind of boiled down to those two? I, I had a hard time making a case for any of the others, maybe one of the strangers from Canada. Yeah, it's, it's listen, is proxy, uh, are proxy and or rattle and roll superstars? No. Are they in a really good spot here in this Jockey Cup World Cup? Yes. I think they're both really nice horses. You know, I'm not terrified to bet against either one of them, but, you know, it's kind of difficult um, when you go through this field to make, you know, super strong cases against them. I mean, they're both really nice horses. It's not like, at least in my opinion, it's not like the mile and a quarter is supposed to be any kind of big deal to these two horses. They can get this far. So, you know, I think they're legitimate. I, you know, again, I don't think they're horses you need to be terrified to bet against, but um, they're legitimate favorites in this race. I, uh, between the two of them, gave a slight edge to rattle and roll just because I just feel like he's more reliable. He's obviously very consistent. Um, the distance is no issue for this horse. He looks like a little bit of a, you know, plotting kind of horse, late running kind of horse, but I don't really think he he is that kind of horse. There are at least two races so far this year, including the most recent one at Ellis Park, the, the grade one Foster, where this horse, away to the back of the pack, yes. Improving really early in the running, yes. Right in behind the leaders. And he actually ran... I thought a super race in the Foster last time. I kind of preferred him among the two favorites. Um, depending upon how the the wagering all shakes out in this race, I might take one chance against the two of them with the six Tyson. He's the surface switcher in here. Um, this horse clearly has talent. You can see it on the paper. You can see it when you watch his races. This horse can run. He looks like a horse who will stay all day long. The distance to me is no issue for this horse. He is still strong at the end of his races, particularly the last two. And um, maybe even more than anything else, this horse is bred for dirt. He's very closely related to Archangelo. This is the rags to riches, Jazzle, you know, Belmont Stakes winning fa winners families. Um, he's supposed to handle this surface. He's supposed to handle the difference. He's very, the distance. He's very versatile as far as running style goes. And this trainer, you know, she hasn't run a race in New York in a while, but uh, she knows what she's doing. She's she shipped down to Saratoga to win big races before. Yeah, the name escapes me. Who who was her good uh, good three year old filly that won the Alabama by Country Mile? Yeah, um, I was like, some boy, I can't believe it. It I was it was a wild like princess or something like that or something. Yeah, yeah, she was a very very nice horse. Uh, yeah, and, but yes, and then the point being that Josie Carroll actually has a 
a very solid record from a limited sample of horses that uh, that have run on dirt, including Careless or Careless Jewel is the horse for that there. Right. Yeah, we were going to get it eventually, but yep. uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, Tyson is bred top and bottom for dirt, and um, and Duke of Love, for that matter, has run twice on dirt, and yeah. they just so happen to be the best two races he's ever run. The heck of you know, I, I think I think you have to strongly call into question the competition, including the uh, in the West Virginia Governor's last time, but he was a game winner, really furious at O'Connor, who are knock around types in the you know the the grade four types, I would say, in the handicap division. So he'll have to elevate his game a little bit to win this race, but. I agree. I mean, as far as handicap horses goes, he's catching the right couple um, in this group. Rattle and roll has been kind of the picture of consistency to me throughout 2023. I'm never really running in all that flashy a matter, but really performing at a high level every single time, including in that Foster last time out when he was a good second behind West Willpower, who uh, really had the you know, kind of the run of the rate being much closer yeah. in the opening stages. So I, I, I I think the horse, if you were going to identify one horse that you thought was the likeliest winner, I think we'd both agree that by far and away it is uh, it is unquestionably rattle and roll. Um, and that's that's also because, I mean, how do you trust Proxy? He just yes. seems to go in and out of form. There are races where he seems to, to lose interest along the way. You know, I don't know what happened around the turn in the Oakland Handicap, but all of a sudden started running. Right. He was a total no-show in the Foster, and I mean, he beat glorified a lot of horses last time out of so he's going to have to run quite a bit better here in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Yeah, that that was the the difference maker, though, because obviously Proxy's good race makes him really tough in here. He's just, he's a little bit more hard to trust than Rail and Roll is. I will say, though, I, I like the mile and a quarter, I think, for Proxy. I, I've always looked at him as that sort of grinding kind of horse. They've only, um, they got this distance with them uh, earlier in the year out of Santa Anita. He ran, he ran really well that day. He did. He did. No question about it. We'll see, uh, you know, ultimately what we're going to get out of the the West Coast types in this handicap division in Saturday's Pacific Classic. I'll be covering the Delmar card with Frank Scatoni a little bit later today in a video podcast. So, yes, yeah, Stiletto Boy and Defunded are two of the contenders, and they're Defunded trying to come back off a poor effort in the San Diego. But you're right. Proxy ran well in what was his uh, theoretical prep for the Breeders' Cup Classic a little bit later in the year. And uh, he at least does come in off an improved race. I, I don't necessarily love it, but it was uh, it was something that uh, I, I I think it's it's worth mentioning that he did show another dimension as well. So uh, we'll see. I I just I've never really been able to figure out what to make of Proxy. I think I've always wanted him to be a little bit bit better than he actually is when push comes to shove. I'll agree with that. On to the payoff leg of this sequence, which is race number twelve. $40,000 maiden claimers of the New York Red Variety, Adam Isle at a 16th. And who do you like here, Mike? I, ah, who do I like? That's, you know, that's could be a loaded question. I mean, I, I know who I kind of don't like, and not that I'll be surprised uh, when she wins, but the more line favorite is the four uh, Concha for, and we already talked about Clamati's on a real roll right now. So maybe that's all it will take, but I don't know. I didn't, you know, the thing with the Clement first time starters, Nick, is you, you, you and you know this. You kind of they kind of show what they are first time. He's he's really good with first time starters. Um, he has them ready to to run a representative race. And if that's the representative race uh, for Concha, then I, I'm happy to bet against her. And here she ran fine in there. But she had a good trip, and uh, she never looked like she was going to win. And I get that her at the time Orange Freeze was her stable mate, and has turned out to actually be pretty good. But um, I don't know, man. I, I wasn't really taken with the performance uh, from her on debut. So she's going to be the favorite. 
I'm trying to beat her in here. And as the morning line shakes out, if this, if it, if it's close to, if it, the board looks like the close to this at post time, I'm just going to bet the two pinstripe Pizzo. This is the class drop that she needs. Forget about her last race. She, this horse is terrible on dirt. She can't stand up on dirt. Her turf races are actually all pretty good. The last time they ran her on turf back at Belmont, that maiden special weight race, she actually ran okay in that race. That was a good field. She had an absolute no chance trip in that race. Um, it was actually making up a little bit of ground in there with no real chance to, to be effective in that race. She's finally getting the class drop she needs. She draws over towards the inside in here. She's not as slow as that last race makes her look. Um, I don't know, man. If she's around that eight to one morning line, I'm betting this horse. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think I, to me, there were, there were about four or five interesting horses that could be okay prices that I was willing to try. And she was one of them. I actually don't think Dream Road is impossible. I don't really love her race at Belmont in May, but I do think it was better um, than a lot of races that horses in here have run on turf. This is a rider upgrade to Silvera from Harkey, especially in the sense that you're really just looking for them to step on the gas side of the gate. And, you know, if that happens, I think she could be a little bit more dangerous. I might be reaching a little bit. I wanted to give Stone of Destiny another try. I thought she had a bit of a no-shot trip on debut, getting into a little trouble around the turn, getting stuck in traffic. And then I thought Johnny was a little aggressive with her second time out she should have run better and there's no denying it has been a very rough meet for Dave Donk but um, she felt like a horse that could run a little bit better as well and was at least going to be a decent price and you know I, I'm with you I want to take a shot against Comcha and those are the kind of horses that I think are going to be decent enough prices to give me the opportunity to do that I could probably get to a horse like Danny May um, but it's hard to take a 13 race maiden in these scenarios especially one that really is just willing to give it up pretty easily once she's headed on the front end. So I, I thought Pinstripe Pizzo was a really nice bid drawn towards the inside. And again, as you said, in consecutive starts with Jose Ortiz, and th this is my Jose Ortiz complaint, is that you will often get the extremes with him. You will get him getting overly aggressive or just really letting horses drop out and fall into a different zip code before he starts riding them at all. And and that, that was just never going to be the opportunity that she needed to have any success back on July 3rd as well. So a horse that is very, very dirtied up and from a speed figure perspective actually fits very nicely. Yeah. It's, I mean, I think we kind of actually, it sounds like we look at it the same way. I mean, I, I'm, I like pinstripe Pizzo in here and you highlighted the horses that I have right behind her in my selections. I like, I like Stone of Destiny. Um, I think she's a real player in this race and I have Dream Road third. I think, I think she could easily win here very lightly raced. They were really the only three horses I wanted. I'll probably, you know, do a little bit of pressing on the two, but I'm also using the three and the seven. I love it. Well, that's an extended look at the Saratoga Saturday card, including the late pick five. You can tell Mike and I are two guys that like to talk racing because we've gone on for almost 45 minutes and it felt like it was only about 10. So yeah, I apologize to anybody who's been listening. Hopefully if you reach your destination and you're listening on the road, you at least stayed in the driveway and heard us out. If not, take a, take a look a little bit later on. But Mike, thanks so much. We are definitely going to be doing this again, especially as we get into some of those bigger races in the fall downstate. Thanks, Nick. It was good talking to you, man. Good luck this weekend. Same to you, my friend. I appreciate it. Big thanks to Mike Beer, who was here, of course, to go through Saratoga. Drew Coatney, who we covered Woodbine with, and Eric Solomon, who was here for a look at Monmouth. Be sure to go over to InTheMoneyPodcast.com for a lot of content, including my selections and analysis for the final three days of the Saratoga meet. And then we'll take a little hiatus before we're back to back. Belmont at Aqueduct, which starts on Thursday, September 14th. Make sure you rate, like, subscribe, 
everything here on the network. We've got a lot going on day in and day out, including that look at Delmar, which I'll do a little bit later today with Frank Scatoni. That'll be available in video format as well on our YouTube channel. This has been a production of the In The Money Media Network, deputizing for Peter Thomas Fornatel, Nick Tamaro signing off. Until next time, best of luck.